Welcome to Guiding Echoes, the show that loves to inspire and empower you to awaken your intuitive abilities and develop your psychic skills. I'm your host, Nicole Antoinette. Join me as we dive into exciting topics such as spirit communication, energy healing, intuition, consciousness, and so much more. The fun begins right now. Welcome everyone, so excited to connect with you today. You're listening to 105.3 FM New Orleans on the UPRN Network. My name is Nicola Antoinette. I am your host for the evening and we have a wonderful guest for you coming up today. Her name is Helene Webbe and she is the Director of Research at the Institute of Noetic Science. So she will be joining us later on in the evening. Evening. And if you are, if you're someone who follows the work of IONS, and if you have read the book, The Science of Channeling, you're already familiar with some of her work. So I'm so excited to bring her on. And that'll be happening in just a few minutes. So as we're getting started, of course, I want to invite all of you to join us on the Guiding Echoes YouTube channel. If you join us there, you'll be able to participate in the conversation with me and our fabulous guest. Bring your questions, bring your comments. It is sure to be a wonderful show. And for those of you who are listening to us live on the air, keep your eyes on the road, bucko. I don't want to be blamed for your bad driving, for you getting into any car accidents, <laughs> but it's going to be a great show for you too, for you as well. So as usual, before we get started, I wanted to go ahead and do an energy reading for the week. So as I am tuning in and as I am calling my light circle forward, one of the things that I'm already hearing is be prepared for the chaos, be prepared for the chaos. And so this might be a week where you're noticing little things are not going your way. It's kind of funny to me that that is the message that is being channeled to me right now because we actually just had that happen in studio <laughs> where all of the technology decided it wasn't going to work. But you know what? We prevailed. The universe has our back. And here we are. We're talking to you lovely people and we are ready for a fantastic show. Now, when we talk about chaos and when we think about chaos, that usually indicates that things are not going the way that we want them to, right? We have plans and we dive in to a project or into some type of a goal, right? Maybe we decided this is the week we're go we're going to lose five pounds, right? We're going to do it. We're going to exercise. We're going to we're going to diet. We're going to do all the right things, but then life comes along and throws us a curveball, and it can be really hard to remember that those curveballs often are working in our favor, and we don't recognize it at the time. So as you're going through your week, and as you start to notice these little things popping up, this chaos, remember that it's not really chaos, it's order. It's the universe putting things in order for you. And many times, as I know you guys well know, when the universe slams a door shut, it's because it's getting ready to open up another one for you. So my advice, not that you asked for it, is to keep asking the universe for that open door to show you where that is. Because 
if we're not alert to that, if we're so focused on the closed door, we're going to miss all of the other paths that are opening up for us. And so many times those other paths are leading us towards something more beautiful, more purposeful than we ever could have imagined. And it's only when we surrender to the wonder of the universe that magic can unfold for us. Because when you think about it, if we're going about our day, if we are following our own plans, sure, we could get results. Wonderful things can absolutely happen. But there's not a lot of surprise there. It's kind of like knowing that one plus one equals two, right? What if the universe decided it wanted to do something special and magical for you? It has to shut the door on whatever it is that you're going after. So just something positive to keep in mind. I know that it can be easy to feel defeated or depleted or discouraged. Look at that 3D words. I didn't even plan this out. <laughs> it's very easy to feel that way when things aren't going your way. So just remember that they are going your way. They're just not going as planned, right? That's all that's happening. So this energy reading for the week was a lot shorter than it usually is. But I'm not going to ramble on any longer. We're going to go ahead and bring on our wonderful guest. And again, her name is Halane Webe. And I hope I'm saying her name right. I have been so excited to bring her on. So, Halane, welcome. Let's see. I've got it's you. It's so wonderful to be here with you and your audience today. I'm excited to talk about this topic that is near and dear to my heart. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I have been geeking out ever since I booked you for the show. In fact, um, just, an, just an hour ago, I was joking with my roommate and I was I was jumping up and down. I'm like, Eleni's going to be on. I'm so excited. And I'm like, do my bracelets make me look fat? Is my hair okay? <laughs> I can be a little extra sometimes, but you know, it is what it is. Yes. We all show up where we're at in the moment. And yes, I'm happy to share. Awesome. So channeling. Wow. You and the Institute of Noetic Science are taking the art of channeling and the science of channeling to whole new levels. You're actually doing the research. You're doing the studies. I am so excited to hear more about that. But first of all, let's go ahead and dive into your origin story. Like, how did this come about? How did how did channeling become a passion for you? So I, it's interesting because you hear, when you hear my academic bio read, you hear I'm a naturopathic physician, I have a master's in clinical research, I've been doing clinical research in all these different areas, and nowhere in that do you hear anything about channeling. But when I was 10 years old, I actually went to my first uh, meeting, it was kind of like a spiritualist meeting, or some people might call it a seance where my grandmother, my uncle um, were doing trance channeling. And so that was my introduction into the more esoteric spirit world. And those meetings, the beliefs surrounding spiritualism dramatically affected my life. Now, that being said, that was all kind of hidden in my personal life. And I pursued a uh, medical degree and was in private practice and then entered uh, clinical research at an academic university, never really felt comfortable sharing about those personal experiences that I also had some abilities in. And 
It was only when I was introduced to the Institute of Noetic Sciences and eventually ended up at IONS that I was able to bridge those two worlds together. So now I get to apply all of my clinical and research training to this topic of channeling and get to uh, bring my personal interest, my personal experience into it as well. So tell me what that looked like. Like what, what did it look like? What did it feel like to transition from your, what some people would consider a very prestigious standing? Like, cause that's, that's, it's not that it's more important. It, it, the work that you're doing now, I think is fascinating, but from a mainstream point of view, a lot of people would be like, wow, that's really risky to make that change. So what was that like for you? Absolutely. Well, it was a very challenging decision and it took me a long time to feel comfortable to get there. First, I didn't actually realize that there was an option that I could uh, come out of the closet, if you will, about my interest. I had no clue that the field of parapsychology existed and parapsychology has been around for over 150 years, rigorously studying these exact topics. I had no clue that that was even a thing. So I felt an incredible sense of joy and freedom. And what allowed me to take that big jump was that I really wasn't willing to settle anymore, if you will, uh, doing limited research. For example, I was doing research on meditation, specifically mindfulness meditation. And I am a longtime meditator. I'm trained as a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. And I did a really large study founded by the National Institutes of Health for combat veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. And you know, part of my role was to take their interview about their PTSD and their traumatic events. And I would, you know, see all these kind of connections and intuitive pieces to their story that I couldn't really talk about in my lab meeting. And through my teaching and through those studies, you know, people would have anecdotes of these profound spiritual experiences and transformations that would happen from them for them. But in the West at the time, asking about spiritual or esoteric research questions about meditation was taboo. You couldn't really go there. And it, it's loosened up a little bit. But I couldn't ask these research questions that I thought were really important and would add more depth to the picture of how meditation could support us. So that was actually my entree into IONS because I was invited to go to a work group that they were hosting on the future of meditation. And it was specifically for meditation researchers to talk about what was missing in the Western medical research for meditation. So that was really exciting because we got to talk about psi experiences that meditators have and all these uh, uh, you know, connections with the teacher, telepathic connections with the teacher, how once they clear lay layers of the ego and become more centered and grounded and quiet minded, that all of this intuitive information just comes 
flooding into them and sometimes they don't know what to do with it. So anyway, I could go on and on about that, but it was really quite uh, liberating. Another piece of that though is, you know, I got warnings from many, many people because uh, career-wise it was a risk, you know, someone said to me, so you realize this is going to ruin your career, right? Or academic career. And uh, I told them, well, that may be so, but I'm just not willing to, to do it anymore. I'm ready to come out of the closet and, and start researching this stuff in the open. I can't hear you anymore, Nicole. I think you muted yourself. Sorry. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that makes you so inspirational is that you were able to find the courage. And really, it doesn't even seem like it was so much about finding the courage. It was about really listening to your heart and following your passion. And that led you to not only being a part of this wonderful organization, but through your knowledge and through everything you learned, you also wrote this wonderful book called The Science of Channeling. And I've, uh, I'm going through it a second time. I've already, I, I think I read it in like three days the first time. I was like, this is fascinating. And for those of us who are interested in both sides of the sphere, like we're obviously interested in the channeling and the metaphysical aspect of it. And we, we're also interested in the science. This book has a lot of great information and it's written in a way where it's so easy to read. It just feels so conversational. And I'm just curious to know more about what made you decide to write this book. Well, it was mostly inspired by emails, in-person questions, um, conversations that I had with others when I started talking about this topic. So I would, you know, give a presentation about a channeling study I was doing at IONS, and this is when it was in person. People would come up to me after the event, and they would whisper saying, oh, I had this experience, but I can't talk about it, or I can't feel safe talking about this, that there were still so many taboos to discussing these phenomenon and that the phenomena are actually very common. I still get those emails. I just, before I was on here today, received an email from a colleague who was saying that they were getting incredible prejudice from their university for looking at these topics so much so that they may need to leave their position. So wow. this is actively happening all over the world still. And so I would like to believe that much of the prejudice and taboo comes from a lack of education about these phenomenon, that there is incredible evidence-based research demonstrating many of them using rigorous methods and that they are incredibly common. And so the more uh, people who realize that, understand that, um, allowing us to explore it even further and 
you know, doesn't mean you have to believe in it wholeheartedly, but at least stop the obstacles from further research, stop persecuting people who are interested in exploring those research questions and coming from a place of openness and curiosity, which I believe is the true foundation of science. Yeah. You know, science is not the whole process of science is exploratory. It shouldn't have boundaries on what we can and cannot ask. So that's why I wrote the book. <laughs> so for, for those of us who have a passion for channeling, like this is important to us. And we, you know, those of us who do this for a living, I'm included in that. We also receive a lot of prejudice and we get hateful comments and whatnot. So what is it that we can all do to bring more light to this topic? Now, I know you were saying that you're hoping that education is a part of that. And I believe it absolutely is. You know, whenever we, we learn something new and it changes our perception that helps us to bring the truth hopefully to to other people and as we all know uh being able to change the minds of other people is a little difficult you know especially when people are you know they've got their mindset on being a certain way behaving a certain way we won't get into it too much but certain religions definitely frown on the art of channeling and, and what it encompasses so how can we move forward in this? How, how can other people kind of help to put an end to, to that prejudice? Like, can we write to different journals and tell them that we'd like to see more of this? Um, do we have to get it? Would it be beneficial to get in more involved with organizations that are already studying channeling and parapsychology? Um, because basically I'm saying I support this and I know other people do. So what can we do to help move this along? That's a wonderful question. And there really are so many action steps that you can take. The first is there is something called the Parapsychological Association of which I am a president. And you don't need to be an academic to join it. We have membership levels at um, for anybody. And so there are many different events that you can participate on that. It is a, um, its mission is to disseminate information about parapsychology and channeling and all of those various topics. You can also become a member at IONS, uh, stay connected to the community. There's also two levels for bringing this out into the world. One is on a very personal level in your one-on-one -on -one conversations. So you know from reading my book that these experiences are incredibly common. So probably eight to nine out of 10 people you talk to have had some type of channeling experience. And so part of it is just gently engaging with people, not like you're lecturing them, but just creating an opening for them to talk about it. So, hey, have you ever had a gut hunch or some type of intuitive feeling that came true or a dream? Tell me about that. How did that go for you? Oh, did you know that there's actually been a lot of research 
about those exact experiences and that people from all over the world have the same experience, that's a really beautiful entry point into having these conversations. And then you get to the point where some might say, oh, well, that's just impossible. Those reading someone's mind, knowing the future, uh, mediumship, etc. those things are just impossible, right? So what do you do with that? If the person's open and curious, you can talk to them about us being in what's called a paradigm shift. So right now, the dominant paradigm for science, academia, etc., it's what's called materialism. So that means that the only thing that exists is what I can touch, right? So all the things that have to do with channeling are not included in that, right? So some people say, oh, those phenomena are just totally impossible. So you must have hallucinated it or there must be something else going on. What's fascinating, there's many divisions of science that are finding evidence that materialism, while explains many things, doesn't explain everything. And in fact, we're moving to what's called the post-materialistic paradigm, which proposes that our consciousness is not just stuck in our brain and isn't emergent from our brain, that it actually extends beyond our brain, extends beyond the physical, and goes beyond time and space. So if our if science proves, I don't really like using that word, but if science demonstrates that our consciousness goes beyond our brain, then why couldn't I tune into my cousin halfway across the world to see how they're doing or perhaps experience something that's going to happen in the future? So that's a nice general background that hopefully will give a foundation for different ways that you can work towards uh, opening the door just a little bit more. And, um, you know, I think it's much better to do it gently rather than trying to bash people on the head. And of course, you can just give them my book too and say, hey, read this. Let's talk about it when you're done. <laughs> Absolutely. I have no problem giving out copies of your book. I think it's fascinating. So let's go ahead and take this back a notch because I probably should have asked this earlier. Because um, in the book, channeling has the word channeling has a wide range of, I guess you could say, subtopics or methods that are involved in that. So channeling could mean um, mediumship. It could also mean... I guess different psychic abilities fall into that. So how would you define channeling? So you're right. I have a much larger, broader definition of channeling than what most people might think about. So I define channeling as this process of accessing information and energy not limited by time and space, and that can appear receptive or expressive. Now, that's a big mouthful, right? Um, so channeling, the way I describe it, exists on a spectrum. And on one side, you might have things like gut hunches, intuitive hits, synchronicities. And on the other side, you might have things like mediumship, trance channeling that are perhaps more rare, and then everything in between. Now, this is the beautiful diversity of all the channeling experiences that I 
propose all humans have the capacity to do and that each one of us has a, a unique expression for what our channeling looks like. Now, what many people think about when they hear channeling is what I call trance channeling, which is a subtype of this umbrella channeling. And in trance channeling, the channeler believes that their body is acting as a vehicle for communication of a supposed non-physical being. So this being is using their body to speak, to move, etc. So that's traditionally what's thought of as trans-channeling. And we could go into the definition of that and all the studies on that also. That's a whole nother topic. But uh, that's what I mean by the broader channeling and then this subcategory uh, of trans-channeling. Wonderful. So Michael from our um, from our audience does have a question and he's asking, do you find they expect some confirmation from you that's helpful or um, does it being in more doubt? So I think so basically he's asking about when people when you, I think this is going back to an earlier question when we were talking about um, talking to other people about channeling, like, have you ever had a gut hunch or things like that? Do you find that in those conversations, people want more confirmation or do they show more doubt? Like, how does that norm, what does that normally look like? It really depends who you're talking to and, you know, you know, your audience member. So if this is someone that you've just met that you don't know anything about, you know, I really invite people to tread softly, right? Because there is so many taboos that you just don't know if they're gonna freak out and be right. upset with you. <laughs> if it's a friend and they said, I just had this crazy experience, you know, then you feel more um, engaged to go more deeply with them. So I would say it really depends on the audience. And so I guess what, this person is asking is, you know, do people receive it or do they just kind of shut down? And yeah. it's really hit or miss. For the most part, because of my role, I am engaging with people who have some curiosity. So they're open on some level, not completely. But I've also done lectures in really conservative crowds where I package it in a very accessible way and have been remarkably surprised by how open people are about these topics. So you just never know. I invite people to just be present and grounded and heartfelt and not attached to the outcome and just see how it unfolds. Yeah, not being attached to the outcome is a big part of that because you don't want to set yourself up for being yeah. disappointed. And yeah, okay. And there's, no, there's no benefit to like convincing anybody, right. you know? Yeah. It's really just about, for me, it's about being of service to share and to invite others to share their own experience. Yeah. Inviting them to be part of a conversation. Like, let's discuss this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've got another question from Dave. He's asking, is channeling just meditating? What's the difference? Ah, oh, I love this question. <laughs> so no, it's not the same. However, there is a strong link between channeling and meditating. And in fact, meditation is one of the strongest predictors for people to have more channeling experiences and to do well in laboratory tasks. And I think that's because 
Um, channeling allows, sorry, to, to channel, uh, we find that most people need to be in some sort of altered state of consciousness and meditation supports you in getting into an altered state of consciousness and meditation trains the mind to be still, to be quiet, to um, uh, surrender the personal self, which is conducive to receiving information and energy that is beyond the personal self, but they are not the same thing. Right. So another thing to ask would be, what are the practical applications of channeling? Like med meditation is something that a lot of people will be like, well, I don't have time for that. And even people who have a, who are spiritual and have an interest in channeling, again, they're like, I don't have time for that or I can't quiet my mind. So what would the what are the practical benefits and applications of channeling? And the reason I'm asking that is because if people know what the benefits are, aside from being able to talk to their loved ones on the other side or get intuitive hits about whether they should go left or right on their way to work so they can miss traffic or whatever it is, uh, if they understand the benefits of channeling, maybe they'll open up more space for themselves to do those things like meditate more and read books on channeling and really invest in themselves and their spiritual abilities to do this. So just, just so people have a better idea, because uh, channeling has a lot of benefits. Like, let's be honest, has a lot of benefits. So what would you say some of those are? Great. So first I'll start with the science. So there's been numerous studies that have shown that people who have channeling experiences find them meaningful, help them improve their quality of life. And those studies have been done from in multiple different populations in multiple different countries. So overall, channeling is good for you. So that's one piece. Good in to know. Terms, yeah. So in terms of how to apply it, I, I'm really about micro practice. And I, of all people, am so super busy and totally get this. Con I can't set aside an hour to do that. Mm -hmm. So I invite people to just start with five minutes a day. And it's less about the amount of time that you do it and more about the consistency. And Number one is to set the intention, a heartfelt intention that you want to channel, that you want to learn how to channel, and to set aside the time to actually do it. Now, what does that look like? We did this huge study with uh, over 500 people, and one of the major categories um, that we collected data on was about how they got into that channeling state, and there were so many walking in nature, drumming, meditating, psychedelics. There were like all these different ways that people using tools, pendulums, tarot cards, etc. There were all these various different ways that supported people to get into that state. So I would ask you, the listener, you know, well, what's your favorite way? Try one tomorrow. Try a different one the next day if it doesn't work for you. And then once you're in, you know, you set the intention, you're in that, you know, usually quiet state, then start with a simple yes, no question. And then be open and curious with 
the information that you receive. You might feel it in your body. You might see something. You might hear something. You may not experience anything at all, and that's fine. You just go ahead and try the next day. Now, one of the so you say, well, why would I want to do that? Who cares? The may one of the major categories of what people use this for was simple daily life decisions to support them. And once people build up their muscle, their channeling muscle, if you will, because it is like a workout, it's an exercise, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more they trust the information they receive. And then instead of just using it for, you know, should I eat this or should I eat that, they used it for bigger life decisions and uh, trusted what they received. Now, you could reflect on your own life and think about the amount of time and energy that you have spent trying to make decisions, uh, especially big life decisions, you know, lists, pros, cons, what should I do, talking to your family, looking outside yourself, you know, this whole process, this anxiety about what I should do in my life. And having channeling as a tool to support you in that just creates greater ease, greater health. And uh, I've personally found, and so many people I've talked to about this, is once they start tuning into their own intuitive capacity, that paths just open up for them in a really wonderful, beautiful way. When they find they're banging their head against the wall, they're like, oh, okay, that's probably not the best way. I'm going to tune in. And then they turn and they spend less and less time banging their head against the wall or being in a state of frustration because they know they can ask, access this inner wisdom about what is in their next, uh, what's in their highest and best for their next steps. And then you just ripple it out from there. Helps me as an individual, helps me in my relationships, helps me in my family and my community, eventually in the world. So we're doing studies right now to see if we could actually obtain useful information that could support us on, let's say, greenhouse gases or you know various other global issues that we're dealing with that we don't have the answers to. I'm happy to participate in those studies in any way, shape, or form. Count me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. one of the things that you've also mentioned um, in your book is the noetic signature. Everyone has their own unique noetic signature. So what is that exactly? What is the noetic signature? And I think you already gave some ideas on how people can find it, right? Um, but what what is that? What is that exactly? I mean, I know well, what it is. But. <laughs> I mentioned, <laughs> no problem. I mentioned that everyone has the capacity to access this inner wisdom. And yet the way that each of us do that is unique. So I call that the noetic signature. So it's each person's unique expression of their channeling ability. For example, I am really high in embodied sensations. So what does that mean? When, let's say I'm talking to a friend and they're, you know, all stressed out because they're trying to figure something out um, about, should I do this? Should I do that? And when they talk about this one option, my whole body gets goosebumps. And then I say, yes, you need to go there. So my goosebumps are a signal to me that I'm getting noetic wisdom that I want to share either for myself or for another person. Someone else may get visuals. 
They may say they may see things in their visual field or they may see images in their mind. Other people may hear things. They may hear a voice saying stop at a stoplight as the 18 wheeler runs the red light and goes through the intersection. And so we've done multiple different studies uh, developing the noetic signature to the point where we have a 44 item inventory that people can take. Actually, people can go to our website right now and take the noetic signature inventory and get a report on uh, 12 channeling characteristics and where they lie on each of those. Most people are high in multiple ones. So it's not like you just have one thing that shows up for you. And the noetic signature is not about comparing, oh, I'm better than you, you're better than me. It's not about that. It's really about honoring everyone's unique expression, the beautiful diversity of all humans uh, channeling abilities and how that show up for them. And you mentioned earlier that, that this helps us to get in touch with our inner wisdom. So a lot of times too, when people are channeling, there's information that comes out that they didn't even know they had. And even they're taken by surprise. Like, I didn't know that. Like, how did I know this? Where does that come from? Where does that surprising information, where, where are we channeling that from? That's a wonderful question. And there's so many ways we can go with that. Many people talk about like, what is the source? They want to know exactly what the source of channeling is. <clears throat> and when we do surveys on that, there's many different answers depending on who you talk to. Some people believe that the source is our unconscious mind. So it's an aspect of our mind that we just don't have access to in our daily life. Some people feel that the source is a collective consciousness of all humans, that somehow we're tapping into this broader collective consciousness through our inherent human characteristics. Others think that there are discrete, separate entities that are communicating information to us. For example, in mediumship or in trans channeling, that there are... Um, non-physical beings, deceased humans, angels, uh, ascended masters who have consciousness, who don't have a physical body on earth and yet are able to communicate with us. Now, I don't think that that question has a simple answer. And likely, it's probably a smattering of all of the above. And so what I invite people to do is to focus less on the source and more on the content because that's what's really important. Is this content relevant to me and is it actionable? And instead of projecting my authority on, oh, this was channeled from so-and-so and I have to listen to it and it has to be true to really use our discernment and, you know, look at it and say, well, you know, does it resonate with me? Is this a message for me? Is this actually something that will support me? If I take action on this, is this going to benefit my life? And to not hold um, it outside of ourselves and hold it up as a pedestal, as all-knowing, all true. And ultimately, 
if we are all one, if we are all interconnected, whether it comes from my unconscious self or an ascended master, it's all aspects of the same thing. And so I know the human mind's like, well, I want to know where it's coming from. Um, I, I invite people to kind of let go of that attitude as best they can and to focus on, is this useful and helpful for me right now? Right. Yeah. And I find that to be something that people let go of as they go deeper in their spiritual walk and their channeling experiences. Because in the beginning, I think that people have a lot of fear and anxiety, but also a lot of excitement and they want to be sure they're doing it right. And so they do ask those questions like, am I channeling this for my angels, for my guides? How do I know the difference? What are my guides' names? <laughs> and then the further you go down this road, you realize not None of that really matters as much as we think it does. Yeah. And like you were saying, it's it's really a matter of does this information serve you and serve others? If so, hold on to it. And if not, let it go. Okay. So one of the things that I'm curious about is, you know, you you've read through and conducted and been a part of so many different studies on this. What was your favorite one? What study do you look back on and you're like, oh my God, it was so amazing to be a part of this. I was so surprised by the research or by the, the results. What can you look back on and just be like, wow, that was amazing? Yes, I think my favorite study thus far, I mean, they're all wonderful, but my favorite study thus far, we did a focus group in Mount Shasta with five trance channelers. And it was three and a half days intensive sessions of trance channeling. We had all of our equipment around. We were videotaping, audio recording. And I was asking various questions of all these trance channelers. The experiences and results were profound. We ex had the phenomenon where one channeler was channeler, channeling one being we had multiple channelers channeling different beings. We had, um, you know, supposed non-physical beings going from one channeler, starting a conversation, then going to the next one, continuing the conversation, going to the next one, continuing the conversation. It was really quite incredible. And We've published the results on that study. You can find that on our website. But what was really incredible, probably my favorite finding from that study, we had something called quantum noise generators in the corner. Okay. These are devices that spit out random noise. Okay. And so imagine that they spit out uh, zeros and ones and that they result in an equal number of ones and an equal number of zeros. It's just what these devices do. So we had 16 of them right next to each other in the corner of the room, and we had it collect the data over the course of, of the whole study. And then we took that data and we compared the randomness of the data during the channeling sessions versus the non-channeling sessions when we were just sitting in the same spots, but just, you know, chit-chatting. And we found less randomness during the channeling sessions, meaning whatever, you know, the energetics in the room had greater order 
It was less random. And so there's really no reason why these devices should spit out anything other than 50% zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. So that was quite incredible. And it supported for me my energetic sensitivity. So like I can feel like tangibly, viscerally feel a difference in the room when there's high potency channeling happen versus when I'm sitting there chit chatting. I can feel that in my body. So to have this objective data um, represent that was really, really exciting to me. That is definitely amazing. So one of the things you mentioned is that this took place in Mount Shasta, which is known for basically being a spiritual vortex. It's it's known for being one of those spiritual places that has high vibration, high energy. A lot of people have amazing experiences there. So I'm curious to know, what type of results have you gotten from things like this if you were at say like a less spiritual place, like there's a difference between Mount Shasta versus Las Vegas. So when things like that happen, are you finding that the physical location matters or is it purely the intention and the energy that people generate themselves that cause these phenomenons? That's a wonderful question. We haven't done any studies specifically looking at that. We have done one study with energy medicine looking at geocosmic factors. So what was happening with the sun and solar flares and the moon and all these kind of environmental factors and how that influenced the results. And we saw some interesting relationships. Um, and that paper is also published on our uh, study website. We also have another research program at IONS called IONS X which is all about how our mind, how our intentions affect the physical world. And we're looking at that relationship in a number of ways. One is, what is it about the target or the thing that the person's directing their intention to? Does that make a difference? What about the person intending? What is it about them that makes a difference in this, difference in this relationship? What about analysis techniques? Can we maximize it in some way? And what about what we call moderators? So just like you said, does it matter if I'm in Sedona or Mount Shasta versus Manhattan or, you know, the strip in Las Vegas? And we haven't done any formal studies on that just yet, but it's part of what we call our ATOM uh, research model, analysis target, operator, and moderator. So we're looking forward to studying that more in the future. I would hypothesize that there is, you know, because I personally can energetically feel differences, but mm -hmm. who knows? <laughs> and speaking of intentions, uh, Kathy does have a question here. She says, what are some examples of setting intentions and why is it number one on the list? It's number one on the list because I find that it helps focus people and because we've done a great deal of research looking at intention and its effect on the physical world. So intention does make a difference. It's also, I mentioned meditation as one of the strongest predictors. So belief is also a strong predictor. So just believing that channeling exists and that you can do it supports you in having more channeling experiences and doing better in the lab. 
A simple intention is, you know, my intention is to learn how to channel and have it be easeful. That's just a very simple intention. Or, you know, my intention is to expand my channeling capacity. My intention is to nurture my channeling to support me in my daily life. It is a focused statement with will behind it that ultimately uh, can be manifested in the physical. And it holds a container for your next steps. When there's that saying, energy goes where attention flows, but you could clear, you could easily change that to where intention flows. It's the same thing. So one of the things that I was fascinated by when I was reading your book is you talked about the different mediums. So we're switching gears a little bit here. So um, I'm a psychic medium and sometimes that ability decides to work on its own. And other times it's like, you know what, Nicole, you need a break. We're not going to talk right now. You need a break. <laughs> and you talk about in the book how when you are studying the or the research shows that when the minds of mediums were being looked at while they were giving a reading, while they were connecting to spirit, different parts of the brain lit up when they were giving a wrong answer versus a right answer. And I thought that was so fascinating. And so was there any indication afterwards if the medium had any type of sensation where maybe they knew they were when they were giving the wrong answer did something maybe feel off to them like was there any type of feedback afterwards that they received or that they could have given that can help other mediums so that's like if we kind of if we kind of have the same experience we know oh that that's my that's my <laughs> ego mind trying to get in the way um i'm just i'm i was really curious about that that's a beautiful question. I don't, that wasn't done in our previous study. That study was done quite a long time ago and we're hoping to do more mediumistic studies in the future. But I think you're absolutely right. Like being able to collect that subjective uh, experience of the medium, like how accurate do you think that uh, statement was or that reading was? And then comparing that to what we're seeing in the EEG would be quite fascinating. Yeah, it would be because I know I'm not the only one who experiences this. Other mediums I've spoken to as well will both go through that point where we're giving a reading and it's almost like two answers come in at once. And it's like, is the, and they're conflicting with each other. And so it's like, obviously one's from spirit. The other one's in my mind. They're both loud. I don't know which one's right. <laughs> and I'm sure many of us would love to, um, would love to get more insight on that. And the truth is, is that that's not something that happens just in mediumship though, is it? People experience that on other um, psychic abilities, even when they're just making a decision. Absolutely. So, Can I turn the question back on you now? So sure. you, uh, how do you sense then if it is your ego mind versus um, other guidance? You know, some people say they, they perceive it in a different area of their internal field. It might have a different quality. It might sound a little different depending on how the information's coming in, but I'm curious how it shows up for you. So if I'm, if I'm getting uh, two answers at once, so like when, when I'm doing mediumship, I can feel spirit near me. So I'll, I'll feel the presence of, of someone near me and I'll get mostly visual 
uh, images that come up in my mind and these seem like archetypes. They're not, they're, they're images that are already in my mind. I've never to my knowledge or, or that I remember received a message or an image that was foreign to me where I was like, what the heck is that? I don't know what that is. But when I'm giving a reading and I do have two answers coming through at seemingly the same time, what I'll notice is one answer seems I want to say dangerous in the term that if I say this and I'm wrong, I'm going to feel like such a fraud. I'm going to feel horrible. Like I'm never going to do this again because there can be um, fear associated with, with mediumship. Like a lot of mediums are afraid of being wrong. But then what would come in is a more safe answer would might come in. And I, I believe that a lot of times a safe answer uh, comes in, that's the ego. That's the part of my mind that say, no, we can't say that. If we say that and we're wrong, like this person might get upset with us or whatever it is. Um, a good example of that would be, I was doing a reading for someone once and she wanted to connect with her son who had crossed over onto the other side. And I had gotten an intuitive hit that he had a boyfriend. And there are a lot of people, and this woman was from the was uh, from an area in the Bible Belt where a lot of people might have an issue with that. They're not as uh, open-minded to those things just yet. And so when that information came through that he had a boyfriend, I had one of those moments where I was momentarily paralyzed, like, do I say this? Because that's a little risky. Like, if this woman <laughs> doesn't believe in that or if she's judgmental, you know, I don't know how that's how that's going to fly with her. But I did. I took the brave route. And I said, well, I'm sensing that he had a boyfriend he was very close to. And she just started bawling. And she's like, yes, he was his world. And it was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, because I easily could have taken what would have been seemed as a more safe route. And I could have substituted the word partner. Or I could have gone with a more um, traditional sense and said, well, his girlfriend is you know, cause that's what so many of us are still used to. I mean that thankfully that's, that's kind of breaking up. So it's not so much the standard. Um, but so it's things like that, that'll pop up where I'm like, eh, should I say that? Should I not? And nine times out of 10, when I say what I'm scared to say, that turns out to be the one that's accurate. Nice. That's great. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're getting to the end of our show. It goes by so fast. And before we close out, there's two things I, I'd like to ask you. One, of course, is where can everyone find you? And second, what do you hope people will take away from this conversation? What do you want them to know? They can go to our website, noetic, noetic.org. You can find all the papers all of our studies, find opportunities to participate. We have free online webinars on Fridays. We'd love you to join the IONS community. I also have links to the Science of Channeling book there. And we have an in-depth course where you can go more deeply into each of the chapter topics of Science of Channeling. It's a, as you, you know, time it yourself from home virtual course that you can take to go more deeply into this. In terms of my parting message to this glorious, wonderful audience, it really is about being loving and kind and patient with yourself in this channeling process to trust your own 
capacities to fan the flames of that wonderful openness and curiosity to explore your own magnificence and to bring that into the world. Oh, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for that. You know, we actually do have one more question. Are you up for it? One last question. Okay. So Michael is asking, have you tested as far as brain activity adapts or changes while the host channels? So he's asking about how to, what does the brain activity look like when someone's channeling? So we have one published paper about uh, trance channelers who are going in and out of channeling states. And that original analysis, which is kind of the traditional EEG analysis, didn't see any difference. We are currently working on a paper, which is actually due in 10 days, uh, <laughs> that is a whole new analysis that's looking at the interconnectivity of the brain um, and we're comparing the channeling states to the non-channeling states. And we are finding a really fascinating difference between the two. So something is going on there and we're looking forward to finishing that analysis up so we can get it published. Oh, that is exciting. That is so exciting. Well, Helene, thank you so much for being my guest today. And also, I want to thank you for all of the work that you're doing. I want to thank IONS for all the work that they're doing, because I do believe this is groundbreaking. This is revolutionary. And I do believe that as you guys continue with this work, despite the prejudice and despite um, the people blocking your research, which Guys, again, you have to get the book, Science of Channeling. Um, there's so much information in there. And and um, Helene even talks about how this research is being blocked. There are journals that are refusing to publish this. And, and that's a shame. And um, it takes true pioneers to continue this type of work in the face of that type of, um, really, it's a, it's a form of career persecution. I would even go so far as say it's bullying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and um, for you guys to continue to pour your hearts and your souls and your energy into this line of work and into this form of um, this, this topic really is just beautiful. And it gives people like me and other channelers um, hope because we have been persecuted. You know, we have been, we have been, um, it, I mean, it's it's all verbal persecution at this point, but it still hurts. You know, we all got feelings. <laughs> so Absolutely. thank you. You're yeah. so welcome. Yes. And, you know, that's another reason why I wanted to write the book that people could hold it and say, look, look, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Yeah. This is a real thing. And there's so much research on it to feel heartened and supported and part of a larger community. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, mm -hmm. everyone. Thank you for everyone who has been listening. Again, go check out Helene's book, Science of Channeling. Follow her on Facebook. Go check out the IONS website. There is so much fascinating information that's there. Another thing that IONS does, for those of you who don't know, is they actually have um, free webinars once in a while. I've been to two of them so far. One of them was a beautiful one on uh, manifesting, where they walked you through a guided meditation. So there are just so many fantastic resources available. So again, thank you to everyone. Thank you to my special guest. You guys are listening to 105. 
105.3 FM, New Orleans. Stay tuned. We've got Discovery Paranormal coming up, followed by Chasing Prophecy. And after that, it is Into the Night with Sean Kelly. See you next week. Thanks.